welcome to the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. Covering all things science relating to nutrition, training, recovery, and more. Who knows, we might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two. <laughs> welcome back to another Flex Success Podcast. I have with me, as always, my co-host, Mr. Dean, mm-hmm. and the very special muscle doc, Jordan Shallows. Hi, friends. That's me. It says it on my driver's license, too. It just, it just <laughs> says it. at the underscore muscle underscore doc. Yeah, yeah, it's a new thing that they're doing in Canada. <laughs> I love it. Well, if, uh, if you're familiar with Maya in Australia, like David Jones, I used to know uh, a certain someone, it wasn't me, but who used to go in there and you could get this Maya One card for, like, rewards. And you can put down whatever the fuck you want on the form. So he called himself doctor. So that when he would go in there, he'd be like, oh, Dr. Dean. How may I help you for your clothes, sir? <laughs> and I'm just like, you are a fucking loser. Do you get special treatment with the word doctor in front of your name? Uh, I no, no. My so my sister is like a real doctor, like like in a hospital. It doesn't just play one on the internet. Uh, so I I try and remove that from all like flight manifests. Like if someone goes down, like if they go down with a hamstring cramp, I'm your guy. But if they go down <laughs> with like a DVT, it's like I'm not fucking touching that with a ten foot pole. You need a real doctor for that. Ooh. That's so funny. Well, I personally would abuse it just to see like how many discounts and shit I could get. Well, so, it's funny. I definitely know more <laughs> doctors that aren't medical doctors than actual medical doctors. Yeah, yeah. like doctorate doctors. Mm. But yeah, like PhD stuff. Yeah. Mm. You know what it does? You know what's weird? I have a camouflage backpack, and I just like I don't know. I wander around the world, and like my friends own like this gym in Florida, and they get sent stuff all the time, and I have like a really raggedy backpack, and like here have this like your backpack's falling apart we have like 10 of these at this company center just take take this and so i my backpack is like this military issue and what i think gets me more credibility at least traveling through airports is this camouflage backpack because i think people look me up and down and like yeah that guy's definitely in the military and they just like here you go sir like after you and like i've had like my bag meant to be searched like they go through the little thing. I, I mean, you know, we're in similar businesses. Like I'll have a voice recorder. I'll have, you know, a numerous laptops, uh, iPad, a bunch of tech stuff. And I can see how some configuration of wires, it might look like a bomb. And then it gets to the other side of the little TSA scanner thing. And it's, they see it's a camouflage bag because they obviously can't see that uh, as they're looking through the x-ray machine. And they look at me as like, is this your bag, sir? And I'm like, mm-hmm. And they go, here you go. And they just hand it to me. It's like, wait a minute. Because you think that's why, and I don't have to. All right, thanks, too. <laughs> I just go. So travel hack to any, like, mid-20s, 30s, male, beard kind of lifting weights guy. Camouflage backpack in the airport seems to be the play. Or anyone trying to smuggle on a bomb into the airport or a plane, maybe don't listen to that podcast and ignore Ooh. all advice. You find terrorists a big part of your demographic when you guys go through the insights? Yeah, about 25%. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Good chunk. <laughs> the Ned, the oh, yeah. Ned Kellys of the world. <laughs> hey, yeah. freedom fighters, thank you very much. You guys are so weird, the way that you guys glorify <laughs> this crazy person. You're all convicts anyway, so. I know, it true. it's very true. It's very true. I'm I love about- it when white people say, go back to your own country. I'm like, mm, sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Get a history lesson. Um, speaking of a history lesson, for those of you that don't really know you, please give us a history lesson of you. Who are you? What do you do and why do you do it? Oh, okay. Uh, so my name is Jordan Shallow. I am a chiropractor by trade. I'm a strength and conditioning coach. Uh, I host a podcast. I write some stuff on the internet and I own a company called Prescript. Um, what do I do? What does that mean? Uh, <laughs> it's a little bit of a little bit of a history lesson. I'm from Canada originally. I went to uh, undergrad in Toronto. I did grad school or chiropractic college in Santa Clara, California. Um, and that's kind of what sent me on this current trajectory. I got plugged in for those like in the powerlifting fitness community world. I sort of got interjected into this through, um, a gentleman named Dan Green, who's a powerlifter out of California. He was actually one of my first patients when I went into clinical practice. Uh, so rewind 2015, I graduated chiropractic college, I got a job at Apple um, World Headquarters in Cupertino, California. So I was doing like corporate, corporate health, um, corporate wellness out of there. 
transitioned into from Apple into private practice at a boss barbell club um, where I was working with Dan for some time prior to that. And that kind of got me into like the powerlifting world. And, and he started coaching me in powerlifting as I was treating him um, in my office. And simultaneously, I took a role with Stanford University as the head strength and conditioning coach for the rugby team. Uh, so I was kind of running both, like doing my own practice, um, doing the strength and conditioning stuff up at Stanford and started powerlifting um, 2016, 2017. Uh, and then one thing sort of led to the next. I opened up another practice in uh, Dublin, California, which is just south of Oakland at a gym called Combat Sports Academy. And on while simultaneously like starting this business um, that was centered around like uh, corrective exercise strategies for strength athletes. Uh, and then that quickly kind of turned into like um, an education business, basically trying to explain as to why we were approaching things differently for athletes. Uh, and then the podcast, we started RX Radio in 2016. And all of this sort of started to grow simultaneously in a lot of different directions. And then um, as discussed off camera, some things happened in my life around 2018, uh, which pretty much left me homeless as a, as a 28-year-old person with a ton of student debt and probably one of the most expensive places to live in the entire world. Uh, so I was doing a lot of on the education side. Um, on top of powerlifting, I was kind of going around and uh, just doing like little seminars, three-hour talks here and there. Uh, so at the time, I was traveling probably about two to three weeks out of every month. And I was like, you know what? With the way things are headed, like I just kind of needed to make a leap. So I put some stuff in storage, sold the rest of it. I uh, had about two months planned on the road teaching every weekend. And fast forward uh, almost two years later, I'm, I, I haven't had a home since. And I've been able to just hop around the world a few times and, and teach some things and meet some people and lift some weights and talk about lifting some weights. And yeah, so right now my, my acting everyday job is as kind of a president and director of education for Prescript. So I teach um, and develop our curriculum that we lay out both online and when the world opens up again, um, we have contracts with some, some gym franchises for us to uh, upskill their personal training department uh, in different avenues of sort of injury risk management and uh, sports performance. So yeah, that's that's kind of what I've been up to, like a real like nutshell approach. But yeah, that's kind of that's 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 me. Who says men can't multitask? My God. Oh, I didn't say I do any of these things well. I just say <laughs> I, do, I just say I do them. I'm dizzy from listening to that. <laughs> How stressed are you right now, Jordan? not at all are you serious this is incredible this is this is no not there's i don't work i don't i i i wake up and i get to talk to people and that's part of my job but i don't i used to be really stressed like when i actually had to do stuff i didn't want to do but now it's that's it's easy times i love that that's a huge distinction between i think like doing work that stresses you out versus doing work that you otherwise enjoy and then mm -hmm. how that transfers into even like how effective you are as an individual so yeah but, um, you probably know because you're not just an athlete. You're all those other million things as well. Um, ooh, I hate the word entrepreneur, but I guess so. Um, the stress and like all the bullshittery that comes with that, you've really got to love what you do to deal with all of that and deal with it well. And it sounds like you do. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like there are parts of my job and I do take like my job seriously. Like I'm wearing pants right now. That's how much I think this is worth. Right. Like, that's how I like. I was talking to the guys over uh, like Brandon Greco and like one of those uh, and Johnny and they said, if you're wearing pants, you're working. So that's how I know when I'm taking a break, I just take my pants off. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's parts of it that like I don't like. There's emails and HR stuff and, and, and customer relations things and meetings that I don't want to have and conversations that are difficult to, you know, to have with people and when you need to look at like finances and restructuring and expenses and, and P&Ls and all that. But I think if you yeah, if you are infatuated with the end result of all of that, all of that just becomes a means to an end. Yeah. Right? It's just, yeah. So I, I couldn't imagine a whole job of that, like where that was your whole, your whole career was pushing like toe in the company line. But I mean, freedom is kind of what I'm after at the end of the day. And mm. I'm in a position that other than Kayla, no one can really tell me what to do, which is exactly how <laughs> I want to live my life. So yeah, it's definitely ends justify the means for sure. Yeah. Mm. One thing that I found really helpful when I learned this lesson the hard way is I thought once I get this thing set up in the business or this system in play or this staff member trained, then like all the bugs are gone. 
but I've realized like, no, actually I need to be okay with continually problem solving. And it's the same as an athlete, right? Like this injury will pop up or this comp gets canceled or whatever. Like it's just constant stuff that you need to deal with. And I finally come to terms with that. The bullshit is not going away. The bugs don't leave. <laughs> the bugs are here forever. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of the, the major bugs are people. Like that's really, and once you, and once you realize that you're imperfect and you can sort of reflect on the fact yeah. that, you know, I'm an idiot and I do stuff wrong. Oh God, it's eight 30 in the morning. I've done 17 things wrong already. And the nice thing about having like an honest partner is there's stuff I do wrong that I didn't even know you could do wrong. Like, you know, you can load the dishwasher a wrong way. There's a wrong way to load a dishwasher. You've nearly been like, divorced over she this. loads it wrong. <laughs> I don't. Uh, it's just put the thing in and put the soap in. And if it doesn't get cleaned, leave it there and try again next time. That's what machines are for. I am the overwatch. Do what the fuck I say. But no, I think once you realize like, and it's people who don't have that, I think introspection that have a harder time with, you know, dealing with the, the imperfections of other people is like, look, I'm equally as flawed if not. And I know for a fact more flawed than the people who, who work with me. So uh, yeah, the, the the bugs in the system are usually the bugs in my own head and my inability to actually express what it is I need done and when I need done. And I, I understand that. I've accepted that. It's very modest of you. Can't believe he doesn't have a stack of dishwasher. Okay, so uh, maybe I won't get into it, but we, we have this dishwasher <laughs> argument all the time. Um, when we you mentioned that the bugs are mostly... <laughs> <laughs> Moving on from that, the bugs no, are start mostly... Start from the back with the place, work your way forward. Stop Dean, no, because are we really going to get into this? No. Because I'm going to win. <laughs> you guys need paper plates of the therapist. That's what you guys need. Yes. <laughs> 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 Throw it out. Fuck it. The hell with it. I'd just be doing this with paper plates all the time. Like, ah! And it's... I'd never be able to eat because I'd just constantly be crumbling paper plates. It's, it's paper plates or divorce papers. Ooh. Which one is it? So... Let's go on to the next one. No, so what I was saying is you mentioned that the bugs are usually people and I would have to agree. And um, one thing that we've learned to look for in people when we're hiring or even taking on clients isn't so much like what skills do you have, like what, although qualifications and skills are important, but mostly it's the attitude because people can get more qualifications. You can upskill them. But if they start with a stinky attitude and they don't have work ethic, then good fucking luck. So we, again, another lesson learned the hard way, but we certainly look for, for that in people. Do you have that sort of screening process when you decide who to work with as a coach? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like, uh, I, there's a few parts to that. Like, you know, in running a business in the fitness industry, it's not like it's an NBA team. It's not like we're going out buying championships here. Like you can't just put fucking D Wade and LeBron on the heat. And then, you know, in two years, you got yourself a ring. Like that's not how this works. So I think a big part in selecting people is you, you kind of self-select who you attract, right? So if people that want to come work for us, like, you know, it being transparent in every medium that we, that we're outwardly facing, whether it's podcasting, whether it's uh, Instagram, YouTube, whatever, uh, a lot of our selection process is exclusion criteria laid out by the content we put out, the stance that we take. Uh, how we interact with people. And I think that starts to filter out uh, people that are even show interest in, in wanting to work with us or work with me. So, you know, people kind of know how I am um, because I am how I am on this podcast as I am how I am on a check-in or uh, a, a performance review or things like that. So that, that I think is a thing that a lot of companies get wrong is they try and be uh, an outward facing brand that's not consistent with the people who comprise it. Uh, and they try and make the brand and the person two different things. And I've been guilty of that in the past to try to make a company that's more than just me and then a means to scale. But I understand that like my demeanor is a very big part of what makes our brand what it is. So to have a dissonance there uh, is going to attract people who aren't necessarily going to last. So that's been a big thing on me is taking onus and, and, and in the outward projection of the way that we handle things and having some level of consistency and all that consistency just comes from, how it is I see fit to, to, to deal with things and people. Uh, so we start to, you just start to attract more, uh, less, but a, of a higher quality candidate and quality doesn't have to, like you said, doesn't have to be qualification, like quality. I'm looking at, they're very much like the personal level for me. Like we all got here by bootstrapping this, right? Like, you know, we, we took a passion and we were able to create systems around this passion and through those systems, 
uh, create something that resembles a business. Um, so for me, it's one of my biggest things is looking for people who kind of invest skin in the game, like people who come to me with like, look, this is your problem. This is your solution. Like, I think attitude is a big one, but I think, um, you know, some level of initiative is probably the biggest thing I look for. Like someone who, if I'm going to have someone alleviate my workload, like I want an asset, not a debt, right? I want it. I want this investment to be, or this expense of a new employee to be an investment, not a debt. Like, okay, if I can, you know, spend time and train this person up, I know at a certain level that, yeah, there'll be things that slip through the cracks, but if this person's going to take initiative and doesn't just have to sit back and wait to like have me hold their hand, that's my biggest thing. So I think the human side for sure, like if people come with me, kids come to me way smarter than me. Like they just come with a scroll of certifications and like degrees. And I'm like, Jesus, like I, I, this guy's, this guy's like, dude, you're too qualified for the job. Like our business is like reps and sets, man. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Go work in like a linear accelerator or something. Um, (laughs) but I, I, I think, yeah, like the, the, the character of the individual far supersedes any individual like uh, credential or anything like that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Something very undervalued. I think even when people are looking for um, a coach or a practitioner, perhaps some people are just looking at what are their qualifications without looking at like, how is this person going to talk to me? How are they going to explain my diagnosis to me? Which kind of leads us to the question of um, what do you think people should look for when they're selecting a coach or a chiropractor or a practitioner of some sort? Yeah. I mean, I think word of mouth is probably going to be the biggest thing. Like, especially if you value like if you value your health, like a lot of people turn to like online reviews, like in America, we have Yelp. I don't know if you guys have it over here, mm-hmm. which is like, look, I'll, if I'm driving through the Midwest of the United States and I need to find a diner in a city I've never been to before, I'll look at Yelp. But I don't necessarily give a shit about what I need to eat on this road trip. Not to the same effect of like, you know, my my health and performance, right? Like if you're picking a clinician or a coach the same way you pick that diner, it's like your priorities are way off. So I think doing diligence on the, on the front end and in vetting through your network, someone who, um, and look your network, that I want to say network, I mean like your human network of people that you're friends with and you know, their, their dog's name and like, you know, their mom's birthday, not some schmelt with an Instagram account. Like, I think that's a big thing. Like people, therapists tell, they tell their stories on social media. Now, some people tell really bad stories by my estimation, but they have a following and they built social capital and they're able to perpetuate a lot of shit information. Uh, so don't, don't go with a guy who has necessarily a ton of followers. And that's coming from me. And Instagram is a very large mouth of our sales funnel. I hate to use the term, but like, do, don't trust social capital to make your decisions. And a lot of people like, you know, they used to turn to Google. Now they turn to Instagram and YouTube to find their therapist and coach. It's like, don't allow subscribers and likes and things like that and followers to dictate your decision. Mm. Because there's, there's a lot of people out there who, you know, and you know, it might not even be a content thing. It might just be a personality thing. Mm. Like, you know, um, so my biggest thing is people who know you, and, and like, you know, them vet through those networks, like that, the human network that you've developed, um, that would, that's always my advice. Cause I think people jump into these, these, these contractual relationships with therapists and coaches haphazardly. And on the other end of that, as a therapist and a coach, you're just left there like, Oh man, like, you know, I, I, I have a client actually up your way who I work with and she's a close friend I work with. I don't have to do anything. I just stand there. She's, she's an animal. But like she, she won the WBFF world in the Bahamas last year. And it's, she's a rare person in that, in that discipline, in that, in that demographic. And all of a sudden, like I'm like the dude for WBFF chicks. I'm like, okay, well, I gotta stop you right now. Like I work well with her because we get along so well on a human level, right? Like, and she knows what she's doing and, and I can just a little thing here and there, high five, go do your thing. But I got these like I got these head cases coming to me like what want to win worlds. It's like oh, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. I can't. Not, Ooh. I'm not that guy. It so is so I think, easy to be pigeonholed as a bikini man. comp prep coach. It happens to so many dudes, especially in that federation, dude. I've almost um, I work with one or two, but I'm super hesitant 
mm. because it becomes super fucking culty. It's it's, it's difficult. <laughs> it's terrifying. Like, look, I don't want to slander anything, and dude, I'm I'm a I'm a Canadian meathead. Like Paul Delette was like the dude. Like, <gasps> are you kidding me? Like, we didn't know human beings could be that big, and I was in the Bahamas, and like it was. Like, Kalti doesn't even begin to describe it. It was, like, Fourth Reich shit. Like, I was literally sitting at one of the registrations. And, fuck, I'm going to be, like, banned from the WBFF now. But I was sitting at, like, registration night at Bahamas World. I had my fucking suit on and all that. It was ridiculous. It looked like an audition for a soap opera where I wasn't going to get the role. Like, everyone here is way too handsome for me to be sitting here. Like, everyone knew that I wasn't part of this. Like, one of these ones isn't like the other one. And it was like, it was, yeah, it was like propaganda, man. It was, it was so strange to me. And it was then and there that I realized like, look, my client is very much, her name's Alicia Gowans. She's very much an aberration. Like she is a very different person. And she sits there and she plays the game and did really well. But afterwards, like my involvement, but like you said, pigeonhole, like, oh, she won and he's there. So he's the reason she won. I have nothing to do with this. Like I have, like, I've, and I want to, outside of her involvement, have nothing to do with this. And my email inbox and DMs are just like, it's like I, I, I can't. I'm sorry. Like this is this is not this is not going to work long term. But interesting for sure. It is certainly the epitome of the IG influencer realm for the fitness. Well, I shouldn't say fitness. Well, they say fitness. Fitness and, and fashion. Fitness and fashion that? is their tagline um, yeah. for that sort of physique. Uh, competition don't they even have like a you know you can only win if you have this many instagram followers isn't that part of their thing there's certainly a large focus on your marketability yeah of which Uh, that may be a part of it do you get marked you don't just get marked on your physique and like your stage presence and stuff which is what you would think you would get marked on in a physique sport sport um it marketability is something that contributes to points i believe and yeah, it certainly has an influence. Yeah, okay. The influences have an influence. Dean's clock? No, but they're actually not backwards in uh, coming forwards about it. They say part of this is you have to be a marketable individual. When they first started out, dude, they were giving second place people pro cards and first place people the win, but no pro card because they weren't the pro marketable. wasn't a stat. They weren't the status quo for what they expected a pro to look like. Right, and let's, I mean, at least they're hiding it in plain sight where, you know, why was Kai Green not winning Olympia? Maybe a grapefruit had something to do with it. Do you know how hard that was to find on the internet, Jordan? I'm glad it's really hard. I found it and I shared it, but but it was hard. They hit it well. Have you seen it? No. It's exactly as you expect. It's like, oh, that's a dick and a grapefruit. Yeah, no, sweet. Good. Not not a citrus fruit kind of guy anyway, so doesn't okay. really tickle my fancy. <laughs> Stick with some mushed up banana uh, instead. <laughs> but, um, as a traveling man, how do you see chiropractory worldwide? Like does it differ does it differ much between like Canada to Australia to America and what are some of the nuances within? Ooh. Who's best? Okay, I- I don't want to generate uh, Canada for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. No. And like, it's, it, it, well, it's a few things, right? Like um, in, okay, I don't want to say Australia is the worst, but I seem to get a lot of like weird shit when people send me questions. So like, obviously I, I might get a, a biased lens that I look through because people only come to me with like, Hey, this guy told me this. I wanted to get your opinion on it. And the, where I find myself going, like, don't ever go back to that guy again, it's usually in Australia. Now, the tide, I think, is, is turning across the profession, across the board, across the globe. Um, Canada has the distinct advantage of having pretty much one school, like one chiropractic college. So if they need to make change to what they're seeing in practice, they can make a change in legislation. They can go right to the school and they can start to see that change exacted within a four year period. We can start to see a turnover rate of what we'll kind of call standard, uh, standard methods in practice very quickly now the u.s has when i was going through it was 17 schools which even still in a country of you know 400 million people and like 50 states or whatever it is like it's still a fairly sparse representation like it's it's not it's not hard i i got in and got through like let's be serious i'm not the smartest guy in the world um but i think in australia it's a different designation so the reason i carry like a doctor title as as silly as that might sound 
is I'm considered a primary entrance clinician. Basically, I have a responsibility to know if something comes in and is cancer, like, and it's, say it's metastasized into the lumbar spine and someone has low back pain, I need to be able to differentiate. Like, I'm not going to cure it. I'm not going to start hanging drips and setting pick lines and doing chemo, but I need to know, like, okay, this is something more insidious than some sort of musculoskeletal lower back pain. Um, I'm going to send you elsewhere, right? And that's that's kind of where the doctor title comes in. It basically allows me to bill insurance companies. Like the long and short of what it really means is I'm able to make a diagnosis. I'm able to send out for advanced imaging, interpret that advanced imaging, and make clinical decisions based off of those findings. Um, where in Australia, it seems to be a little bit different. It seems to be like some sort of master's program thing. So they don't necessarily necessarily carry that that weight or responsibility because they don't have like clinical entrance. So they can't necessarily say or diagnose and the word diagnose, I think, and I put something up the other day about this. It, it holds weight. It holds, it holds psychological and physiological uh, ramifications that people don't respect. Like to make a diagnosis is to identify someone as pathological, right? And when, something as simple as like a herniated disc to an, an uninitiated patient is a very damning thing to hear. They don't know what it means. They don't know what that is. It's it's scary to them. So I think uh, the biggest thing I see is that the the word and the and the, the the phraseology around the profession is so distinctly different because the scopes of practice are so distinctly different, right? Like uh, the scope of practice of a chiropractor in Australia is going to be fundamentally different than the scope of practice of a chiropractor in America. Even within states in America, like I can perform minor surgery in Oregon. <laughs> what what trust me you don't want me like hacking out anything like I, i'll be like a butcher but i can't even remove if someone came in with a splinter in california i couldn't remove their splinter mm. so there's a lot of variability state to state country to country but i think the biggest thing is just it's the onus on the individual like i know canadian chiropractors that are absolute criminal they're absolute dog shit right they do people such a disservice they take their money they lean on insurance companies. They drive up costs and premiums like it's insane. I know chiropractors in Australia that are absolute guns, like total aces that have gone through the requisite. Like the, the, I think the stuff I talk about, I learned in chiropractic college, like the education curriculum that I developed, I learned from chiropractic college. No, like it gave me a foundation of anatomy and physiology and biochemistry that has found me pretty well. But it was how like I synthesized and continued my education after school that really made the difference. So I think that's a universal truth of let's let's try and light on good chiropractors across the world and and um, sort of across varying scopes of practice is the good ones all do the same thing. They don't stop learning, right? Regardless of where their starting point was, the good ones know that there's a lot more to know. Mm. And PTs and coaches and yeah. and across the board, yeah. Yeah, that goes that goes across all professions realistically because mm. it is essentially like going through that study component of your uh, education is really just building frameworks and your ability to understand research critical thinking skills critical thinking skills and all the rest of it the tough thing is though is that the certificates on the wall although your pictures behind you may look like them to the to the eye that is not aware of what that is usually when you have podcasts like this and people are a professional they always have their shit in behind yeah well i don't live here number yeah, one sorry. so this guy's a bit of a sneaker head and he has the greatest collection of artwork i've ever seen it's the 99 problem series. So they're all pictures of Jay-Z identifying different problems. So this is problem 42. Radio won't play my hits. <laughs> Love it. For those of you it's just incredible. listening and not watching on YouTube, there are photos hanging in Jordan's Airbnb. Yes. Um, and that is what he's showing us. <laughs> How funny. Oh, you... No, that's uh, perfect. It's really level. That's <laughs> <laughs> not there's my this, house. You're about to find out that there's a right way to hang a picture. <laughs> <laughs> that is not it. <laughs> uh, but yeah I'll give you a free pass Dean and I were actually going to record a podcast um, sometime this week on if you could I'm finding that very distracting Jordan <laughs> I'm sorry now it's now it's I can't I can't afford to do another thing wrong I'm still off the dishwasher okay I'm on thin ice <laughs> I'm just gonna wait until you yeah <laughs> that looks great yeah Good <laughs> May imagine if we were one of those people that had like extreme OCD there. Oh, okay, yeah, you've kind of evened it up now. See, it feels like that's not supposed to be. <laughs> you guys have to watch this on YouTube. Yeah. It's too good. 
what was I saying? Yeah, we were oh. talking about doing this podcast because, uh, but I haven't really figured out how I want to frame it most appropriately yet so that it makes sense and just doesn't seem clickbait. Give us the juice. Uh, and that is that you should spend less money on gaining your initial certificate and more money on education and various uh, qualifications, I suppose you could say. Mm. When let me frame that, what I'll say is like it was specific to like the personal training industry, whereby spending five thousand dollars on an online personal training course that otherwise won't teach you much is just highway robbery because you're not going to learn anything. But you need that you need that certificate to start to practice. But where you'll become much better is if you pour your money into things like, for example, the courses that you offer if you're a, a practitioner of Thomas of chiropractor or, or yeah. yeah Thomas Lee Strength Ones or whatever it may be, the stuff that's good like built on years and years and years of practice. Yeah, they won't give you a, something to hang on the wall, mm. but will give you a skill set. Yeah, yeah, that's that's tough. Like, uh, you know what? I think regardless of what way you cut it, what we're dealing with, just like what we started with, like you're just dealing with people. Whether those people own institutions like, you know, NASM or, uh, N, or what, a national call, NCSA, like personal training certifications that are committing like this highway robbery, like, cause I know plenty of people who have like a great Instagram following that are teaching courses that are still highway robbery. Mm. Like, this is bullshit. It's bold. Like it's like, I just think again, like vet your, vet your education providers, perhaps the same way you'd vet your healthcare providers. Cause it's like, you know, it's something that I take like very seriously. And I, and I've sunk a lot of money onto the front end in gaining not only the education, but like the experience in various fields at what I would think to be like a decently high level. and there are people who just haven't gone through the diligence and still have the audacity to teach people. Um, and it's like, look, I can read Wikipedia, right? I, I know how to Google search. I know what PubMed is. I know how to like work a Boolean operator. Like, uh, so I think even still to that point, it's like pretty, it's, it's, you just have to be, you just have to look out for people. Like, cause I think there's people out there that are putting lipstick on a pig and calling it continuing education. And it's, and it is still the same highway robbery, but rather than doing it out of need and necessity for a certificate so that you can practice, they're doing it out of like some sort of social need to, to drive traffic to their page and a pad in their bank account. So like, yeah, yeah I, I would say vetting education providers is, is as equally as important as healthcare providers. Mm. We should give a list of, um, courses that don't provide a certificate that that we believe to be handy because I totally agree that there's lots of kind of like shining a turd um, and making it look fancy. And sometimes also um, to the point of people having a big online following and then us thinking, oh, they must be smart, this course must be great or whatever. They can sometimes be an inverse relationship because it's easy to build a really good online following by putting up photos uh, bent over in front of a camera in lingerie. Like people are going to like that page. People are going to like it, but that doesn't mean that you have quality information to give. We don't put up nudes and that means that we don't probably have the biggest following we can get, but we're trying to provide value and we're trying to give quality, not quantity. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it certainly doesn't, doesn't mean everything. Yeah, I only, put up, you I only put up nudes when I'm feeling sad and I need some <laughs> self-validation, you know, or some external validation, I should say. <laughs> I'm sure we could all think of a few people that you're definitely talking about. <laughs> so we can get more hits on this podcast, which will be posted onto YouTube. Can you please take your shirt off? <laughs> you want, oh, so you want hits, right. Of yeah. the three of us, Dean, go on then. <laughs> <laughs> no, this, it's not, not good lighting in here. <laughs> sure. Fucking bodybuilders are the worst. <laughs> I don't know if I want to be called one of those. For years, I've called myself a hobby builder because I refuse to be lumped into that group of humans. <laughs> hobby. Or aliens. Whatever they may be. Mutants. I work with enough of them that I'm like, yeah, you and I aren't the same person. Like, we don't align in our thought process, in our values, like where I put most of my time and my energy. So I'm just going to call myself a hobby builder forever. Do you ever get confused as a bodybuilder, Mr. Jordan? Yeah. Yeah. I think mostly because most like people don't know what powerlifting is. <laughs> like, I, the air, again, like I travel a lot. So airports are places I find myself often. And like people always, like when you fly a lot, there are benefits to flying a lot. So I find myself in positions where like, I probably shouldn't be like, it's like going to the casino. Like if you gamble a lot, like you're going to get comped a room. Like if you travel a lot, like there are lounges that you go to that other people don't. Cause like, look, I, I spent a lot of time in the air. So I'll be like, I've literally been in like airport lounges and people have asked me to like 
clear their tables before because they thought I worked in the lounge. And I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. It's like, oh, no, man, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the 1020 flight out of JFK, man. Like, I don't, or they go, like, so wait, wait a minute. Like, what do you do? Like, what do you do is a question I get a lot. Because yeah. I'm like, I don't know, I'm like 29 years old. I'm flying around and whatever. And I'm around all these other people. And they're like, why is like, I'm easily the youngest person in this airport lounge by like 40 years. And so they go like, what do you do? And the initial thing is like, oh, are you like one of those? They'll do two things. They go, oh, are you like a bodybuilder? And they'll like do an overhead press motion. <laughs> like, you have great shoulder mobility, sir, but that is not what I do. And, then, <laughs> and I'll go, or they'll do like, oh, are you, uh, are you a weightlifter? And they'll hit like a side bicep pose. And I'm like, nope, nope, you fucked that one too. Uh, I'm like, so like, I, I, and I have to explain what powerlifting is. And it's, I think it's more so people think bodybuilding and powerlifting might be the same thing that's why i get lumped in as a powerlifter and then i'll go to like the buffet and grab like 12 scones and i'm like i see i'm not a bodybuilder i'm just gonna eat all of these before my flight you're not part of the hunger olympics but even then half the people don't have a fucking clue like what any of it is like you said they're like i've got pretty big arms don't i you're like what, are you looking at me and am i looking at you like are we looking at the same thing right now like you're telling me how like they might be suggesting that you're a large human and yet they clearly look very different to you, but then they want to compare with you. <laughs> right. Dean got yeah. asked if he does the gym workouts oh, yeah. recently, as if there's like mm. just like maybe just one pamphlet of the workouts that you can pick. Right. Or the, the best one, I think it was with somewhere overseas. And I was sitting like on a bus or a train and like right near the door. And literally a guy walks down the aisle as he hits me, he goes, Hey man, how do you get arms like yours? And no, I was like, as he's exiting and I was the like, train. Ah, train them. See ya. Like, <laughs> Like, it's it's that one set. It's that little secret that Dean has about getting big arms that he can pass on to the guy as he's leaving the train. Yeah, I need a pick. I I, I want to find this guy because he's probably out there with like twenty four inch arms right now. Just looking back on this on this faithful interaction with Dean on the train. <laughs> do you know my my favorite question is um what protein do you use? Ooh. Who the mm. fuck cares? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's the one. Just. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you just can't with people, and it's kind of de- it's kind of demeaning too. Like it, it, it it's always said in, in said in somewhat of a, a condescending way to like like I'm it's, it's always tied into like the dumb meathead. Like people always like talk slow or like I speak a different language. It's the same way my mom talks about this lady Shipping that she works with. Like my mom's from Newfoundland. Like it's just all white people, and my mom's not racist, but the way she talks about her interaction with this lady Shipping at her work makes her sound like the biggest racist I've ever met in my entire life. Because even when she recounts her interactions with me, she talks slow. Like mom, like Shipping teaches, like speaks English. Like I speak English. Why are you talking slow? Like when people talk to me, they're talking to me like I'm from another country. Like so, like wow, you must like you. How many days a week do you work out? Like, <laughs> Why are you, why are you talking to me like that? Like, <laughs> why are you talking so slow? Like we could, we could like at least double the cadence of that conversation. <laughs> it, it's an odd, it's an odd outward perception for sure. Is this when you say I'm a fucking doctor? Yeah. <laughs> no, I just say I do Zumba classes. That's how I get out of this conversation. I was like, I do Zumba class twice a week and I keep walking. That's my advice when someone passes me on a train. <laughs> now you that, that's gonna be my zumba that's it just one answer i need like yeah you need zumba a pithy class. answer for everything no you know what you need and i've been thinking about this i just so i just watched the joker movie recently and you need a laminated card because like i get asked seven questions it's the same seven questions over and over and over again so i just want to start like laughing hysterically and handing people laminated cards just to be like oh like what the fuck's this guy's problems just so they leave me alone <laughs> You should just go in and put them out on the tables in the lounges that you visit at the airports. <laughs> just with your face. This is what powerlifting is. Like a here's Johnny face and then the seven <laughs> things that you offer people as a service. <laughs> now, we had some questions um, from our Flex Success audience because we put out a post saying, what do you want us to ask Jordan? So, Dean, do you want to ask the question? The first one is, what protein powder do you, do you use? <laughs> go on. And do you lift? <laughs> um it's a bit of a like a fairly common case study example and it even works for us. If you have someone who's like a, a daily sit down job, typical sort of sit down job, and they're a obviously office worker. Ah, uh, it could be sedentary office worker, it could be a truck driver, it could okay. be an influencer working on Instagram, whatever it may be. How do we get them out of that position that they're spent most of the day in into a well balanced, strong position to train in? 
in as quick as yeah. possible? Yeah, right. good question. And there's a lot of facets to it. I think the biggest thing, well, not the biggest thing, like something that I've had to reverse engineer lately is people's thought process around static posture. I think it's a big red herring. I think people create a musculoskeletal hypochondriac mentality around resting posture. I carry most, or I care most rather about like what we'll call lifting posture. And I think the best way to, to break out of that or to bet, like, let's maybe let's go at it this way. Best way to improve your lifting posture outside of the gym is to appease the tenants of human function. Now function gets somewhat of a bad rap is it is definitely an overutilized term. It's a marketing buzzword used in the fitness industry. So I've adopted slash adapted a term of the word function that like I carry with me when we teach like all of our material. It's something that we make sure we're all on the same page with as we move forward with the curriculum is human function is how we operate when we walk and breathe. So the best thing you could do, frankly, like outside of the gym to improve the posture that matters, which is going to be lifting posture when you're in the gym is to make sure that you have mindfulness in the way you walk and the way you breathe. And that's not like a holistic, you know, kind of spiritual Zen, new modern entrepreneur, daily stoic bullshit way of looking at it. That's like physiologically the mechanisms of breathing as we look at primary and secondary and tertiary muscles of forced inhalation and exhalation do have massive implications, say on like the, the position and, and um, like, fluidity of like the say the way your rib cage moves which will likely have a positive impact on what people call static posture or resting posture but it'll just help improve overall human function if we can go through and be mindful of like the full breadth of our breath cycle from full inhalation to forced exhalation we're going to start to train the function of muscles that support the spine that support the neck and a lot of people who sit all day have neck and lower back issues uh, walking is going to make sure that our hips, which are going to be receiving ground forces, like walking and breathing to me, like it, it seems such an easy answer, but there's so much, there's so much in the realm of like physics that uh, that's going to help benefit our lifting posture, biomechanics that's going to help improve our lifting posture. But it's also a subset of, of like evolutionary biology. Like why are we biped ambulatory creatures? Why don't we walk around on all fours? So the, the way we interact with gravity is fundamentally different than most other creatures like on the planet. Like there's, there's a subset of human physiology. If you want to look into it, this is where I start most of my students off. If they want rabbit holes is it's called locomotor respiratory coupling, which is basically, look, we're the only animals that can break apart gait cycle and breath cycle, a horse running the derby. Every time that front foot lands, its guts are going to move into its diaphragm and force the force it to exhale. Right. Usain Bolt runs 100 meters in 41 steps. He does it in four breaths. Right. That is an amazingly efficient. But, but take it a step further. Look at someone in the Special Olympics who, who does racing in a wheelchair. Their locomotor respiratory coupling ratio is going to be somewhere to the tune of two to one, which is wildly inefficient, seeing as Usain Bolt almost runs a 10 to one, you know, gallops per, per breath. So it seems like this very like you know, namaste in bed all day, bullshit, 21st century hippie entrepreneur answer. But like, no, there's a lot of science that's going to back the the idea that walking and breathing are probably the best things that you can do to improve your lifting posture and performance in the gym while you're outside the gym. Do you find that's hard to sell to people? Um, it, huh, that's a good question. Again, I think a lot of it comes from exclusion criteria. I haven't run into many issues with it. I think it depends on the audience. And I think because I self-select my audience, what I think to be pretty well, just because I'm pretty upfront and honest of the way I think about things, like I'm not after the crunchy granola, top knot, animal flow crowd. That's not what I want. Like I want mindful and cerebral athletes who are worried about performance and are willing to do anything that they can do in their power to improve it. Um, so I think I haven't run into much objection with the way I go about it. Um, if, if I do likely it's someone who self-selected themselves out of my network, by the time I'm having this conversation with most people, I think there's a decent amount of buy-in. Um, and I think coming at it from a scientific approach, and not like a light the incense kind of I'm going to I'm going to do mushrooms because 
it's spiritual. Like, no, you're a fucking drug addict, dude. You're not a shaman. Like if you come <laughs> at it from like a real like brass tax and you, you take the time to go into the research and start to have these little sound bites and it starts to make a lot of sense to people. And as we deep dive deeper into like the applied biomechanics of like what actually happens when you breathe it, there's really nowhere to go. Like to ignore it is to ignore science. And it's like, okay, if you want to do that, then I likely don't want to work with you anyways. Um, so no, no, like short answer. No, I don't run into much objection with it. Unless honestly, the people who self-select for the mediocre, crunchy animal flow side of things. Uh, but most people that are performance based get on board with it pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't want those people anyways. Yeah. From a um, application point of view, are we talking more about just having like greater interoception of what's going on when you walk and breathe or like drills? What are we specifically talking about? Because that's kind of the, the, the way in which even the nutrition world is going now too, like bringing people back to being aware of internal cues. Yeah. So you need to know what gait cycle and breath cycle are. Like just like in the gym, when we're training a bicep, you know, the, the common like nomenclature around training muscles in isolation is like the mind muscle connection. <laughs> I love that. It sucks so bad. It's the worst way because Look, a mind if you can't go in and be like, you know, this is the nerve that innervates the bicep. This is where the bicep enters active and passive insufficiency in relative positions of elbow shoulder elbow flexion and shoulder flexion. As we supinate the wrist, where are we stronger in supination of the wrist versus pronation of the wrist? What relative positions does this exercise exist in a length tension relationship? Are we being redundant in the way we're applying inadvertent stress through particular positions in other more compound movements? Like, should you train a seated preacher curl if yesterday you did weighted pull-ups? Are we kind of redundantly training the bicep in the same relative shoulder position? If you can't have those conversations in your head when you're writing or executing it, writing a program or executing an exercise, you don't have a mind-muscle connection. You have a muscle-mind connection that said, this thing's done this thing so many times that that's what it feels like, and I can feel it when I do it. Like, that's great. That's great. You haven't had a stroke or some sort of serious upper motor neuron lesion. I'm very happy for you. So it's the same when it, we talk about putting into practice breathing and walking, it's like having a very deep understanding of the gait cycle. Like, what are your hips supposed to do when they go into extension? How much extension is too much extension? Well, how do we get into extension from the pelvis? What happens to the sacrum when we go into extension? What happens to the lumbar spine when we go into extension? What happens to our lateral hip when we're in what's called stance phase of gait? Do we have a band around our knee and do we have to abduct and do all this fucking clamshell bullshit? No, because that's not how our glutes function, right? So there's a lot of it is just like education and that allows for a, a better return on the investment of just being mindful in these practices. Like I can sit here and just go, <laughs> like, yay, I'm breathing. Like, yay. But it's like, okay, what's tidal volume? What are the accessory muscles of inhalation? What are the accessory muscles of forced exhalation? It's like, if you don't know that, it's the same bicep curl conversation all over again. So to create a mindfulness, you need to first create an awareness that will allow you to be conscious of these things because it sets forth the criteria for you to know what to be conscious about. So I think that's where a lot of people miss the boat. It's like, yeah, we're just going to sit in the sauna and do Wim Hof. It's like, I can't even put together like, and I've heard that and I just like, all right, man, like, why don't you go smoke another one? And I think Rogan just released another podcast. I'm going to go and actually try and make a difference in the world. Cool. Awesome. Sweet. Psilocybin mushrooms. We'll see you next time. Like it's, it's a really, that is honestly the, the biggest thing to overcome is the, the clickbait surface level explorations of these two subdomains of health and fitness that are so easily accessible through, I mean, Rogan's an easy, an easy one to pick on or like Wim Hof from the breathing end. It's like, if you don't know, like if you don't know what um, like respiratory sinus arrhythmia is, but you track your HRV, that's like not knowing what like a macronutrient is and you track your calories. It's like, okay, good luck yeah. out there. Yeah. So it just starts with education for me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Man. That I can think of so many uh, ways that that's applicable within nutrition as well. Mm. And um, we put a huge focus on education at Flex Success because uh, we're trying to do a similar thing that you're doing with exercise, but we're doing it with nutrition. Um, and we do find, though, that although we self-select, sometimes it's a hard sell to be like, hey, you need to learn these things. 
so that you can put it into practice and, and you can start understanding these concepts, not these strict rules. But in a world of social media where people are just scrolling and liking and they want little sound bites and shit, like, oh, it's just not sexy sometimes. It's not as Ooh. sexy as like, hey, eat these five foods and uh, you'll lose belly fat. <laughs> but it's fun. You have to. There's like, there's no fast track. There's no skipping those steps. Yeah, and that's the hard part is is teaching people first principles rather than teaching a system. Like a system, and you know what it is. I think you need to self you need to self select for people who are worried about like who are willing to take onus and responsibility over their craft. I think above all else, that's what it is. Because when I teach people, like, look, this is going to be a frustrating sixteen weeks, or this is going to be a frustrating three days. Why? Because I'm not going to give you necessarily a system. I'm going to give you a systems way of thinking. Like one of the, our first, like our first modules of our lectures is like, look, we, we teach applied biomechanics and, and anatomy, but you need to understand that there's an, there's an, and something called your enteric nervous system. There's something called your gastrointestinal system. There's something called, um, your endocrine system. Like all these systems are, are in constant, you know, are in constant flux and in constant interaction that, we're going to go deep in this system, but you need to understand that there's an interface of our system and other systems and that we need to know to stay in our lane. And when an infringement of another system might be causing us to think a certain way in our system, right? So it's, it's very much a systems way of thinking rather than here is a system. We're going to do insert your last name, big three exercise. Like, are you fucking serious? Like, no, you're going to examine the hip, understand the relative function that this hip has in gait cycle when we walk, understand how the ilium is going to respond to maybe dysfunctional breath patterns, how that might change the dynamics of the pelvic floor, the internal, external rotators of the hip. And per every individual, we are going to come up with a gold standard assessment and intervention that fits exactly what they need. Not like, oh, do do the Dean big three for your ankle. Like, fuck off. No, stop <laughs> sullying what I do and simplifying it down in, into these terms. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how many people are out there selling the Jordan big three that you don't even know of. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, did I, I, I think I did a video once. Uh, I was taking a stab at a Donnie Thompson's fucking bow tie thing. And what did I call it? Oh, I called it like the muscle doc bow tie. And it was like how to basically strengthen your traps and he had a, he had a bit of a dig at me, but it's like, I love entering into art. And this is, might sound like a really arrogant thing to say, but like entering into arguments where you're not wrong. Like <laughs> as, as someone who's been in a long-term relationship all the time, you know, and again, like, you know, you win the war, don't win the battles all the time. Cause that's an expensive consequence. If you try to win every, every little battle. Um, but it's, it's, you know, like I don't mind and I feel, I don't feel obligated to go out and like right wrongs and, and out people. But at the same time, it's like, I'm not just going to say, Hey, this guy's wrong. I'm going to give context as to what right might look like or what a more applicable approach might be. And it's like, it's literally like holding a midget at arm's length and pummeling it in the face. Like it's the easiest, <laughs> like that's the whole thing. It's like, well, that was, that was easy. Like, I don't know. It, it's a bit difficult. Like I think, if these are the rules of the game with social media and like people have to have to be baited into this, then that's fine. Like those are rules of engagement. Win the war. Like that's, that's, and you know, early stages of my career, it was like, and I still think I'm in early stages of my career, but I didn't have, you know, the, the, the revenue to have like a 4k camera. And I didn't sink money into it because I was sinking it into like other courses and things like that. But now it's like, okay, if I need to level the playing field by getting a, you know, some mirrorless Sony A7, whatever, easy. I can do that. You know how hard it is for someone who's only spent their money on the Sony A7, whatever, to then go out and be able to synthesize and, and interpret and come up with curriculum across 10 years of education and work experience. That's way harder. I can get mine at the store. Mm. You can't, right? So it's, it's tough and it's, and I definitely empathize with those people out there like yourselves who are trying to like relay those first principles, but it's like, okay, if that's the rules of the game, I'm going to win the game. And mm -hmm. like one of the first hires I made was like a videographer and photographer. Mm. Oh. Yeah. It's difficult arguing with people that are too dumb to argue on the internet sometimes. Well, yeah. Cause they bring you down to their level and they beat you with experience. Mm. <laughs> mm. So, yeah. I'm kind of caught between like, I want to help you understand what right might look like 
And then the other flip side is like the only thing you prove when you argue with an idiot is that there's two idiots. So sometimes I'm like, do I engage in this or am I like, unless of course you don't argue, you just ask questions that you know that they don't probably know the answers to. And then they just make themselves look stupid. (laughs) That's one thing I've learned. And the other thing too, is like, it's, it's very typical for these people that have bought the 4k camera first to be very good at relaying or parroting information. I should say that sounds fancy on, on a platform that doesn't require conversation. Right. The moment you have the opportunity to have conversation, you watch people just fucking run. Because they can't Google how to spell the words that they're trying to say. No. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Or they can't rip off the content of the person that they're talking to in real time. <laughs> That's an issue. Plagiarism in the altern, like the continuing education space in the fitness industry is like, like, look, if, if I was still selling drugs in Windsor, Ontario, half the people who follow me on Instagram would be tied up in a field right now. <laughs> That's how we solve problems. I break your thumbs on the trunk and I tie you up and leave you in a field somewhere. <laughs> I want to do that online. Somehow. Yeah. Um, we have like a bunch of other questions, but I think That's... maybe we're, we're running out of time. So maybe we'll, we'll wrap it up with some funsies. The tagline of this podcast is how to be less shit. So, If you could please give advice to maybe powerlifters listening, maybe practitioners, I'm not sure, whoever, um, what tips would you give them on how to be less shit? Ooh, I mean, shit at movement. A lot of them are just going to be shitty people, just period. So maybe I'll just stick to the movement thing. Be a dog. Uh, That how to be less shit. Don't be a person. Be a dog, yeah. Yeah, be a dog. Try to be reincarnated as a dog. Um, I would say, um, yeah, maybe just doubling back to the walking and breathing. like. don't establish a practice i hate this idea of like like same with like practicing gratitude like it's not a practice like it's it's something that you do in inherently as so for me like establish an understanding establish an understanding of the benefits of walking and breathing i think for powerlifters especially as i consult with a lot of a lot of powerlifters on like the performance side of things and i think it's the habit of expressing an understanding of the benefit rather than just haphazardly going through the movements of like you can go for a walk every day and sit there and like just focus on breathing for five minutes. But if you don't know, like in the same way you can go through the motions of like a squat or you can go through the motions of, you know, a deadlift or a bench press. It's like, there's, there has to be some sort of attachment to it. And you know, the guys who are really good at it, they can tell you, they can break it down into every, every micro task of completing those movements. And it's the same thing with that. Like, I would say start by creating an, uh, an understanding that'll lead to awareness, that'll lead to an unconscious ability to perform these things better. But to be less shit as far as like from an athletic perspective go, that was where I was, that's where I find myself giving the most of my counsel towards is walking and breathing. Okay, cool. cool. Um, now, could you give us... Oh, no, sorry. Next one. Something worth sharing. Have you read a book, watched a movie, listened to a quote, something that you think is worth, or maybe one of your courses that you think is worth sharing with our audience? Um, Yeah, a book I find myself recommending, and this is going to go totally the other side of the spectrum, especially now, like, you know, it's it's a book I refer back to because we don't really have problems, and this is kind of more of like a metaphysical thing, but like there's a book called If This Is a Man by Primo Levi. Uh, it's a tough book to read, not in the sense that it's, you know, written in iambic pentameter or, or like translated. It's not like a Bible or anything like that. It's it's just hard to read because it's based off of a firsthand account of uh, Primo Levi, the author's uh, experience in a in a Nazi uh, work camp for 11 months in 1942 to 1943. Uh, I think it's good to lend perspective in our what we lead to be comfortable lives, even if our comfortable lives don't exist, our favorite uh, prime handle lat pull down machine in its current iteration because we're stuck inside or lifting out of our backyards or whatever. Uh, I think a lot of kids these days, I mean, we have to have problems. It's a means of, you know, deriving meaning in our lives. Um, but realizing how piddly ass your problems are in the grand scheme of things. So that's a book. That's my favorite book by far. Uh, and it's one that I've read. So, I mean, if I'm going to share anything that's actually impactful. I'm just going to share someone else's stuff that's way better than mine. Uh, so the book's called If This Is a Man by Primo Levi. Um, so for me, that's something that I think a lot of people could uh, should invest their time in is in in gaining some sort of perspective about just how good they have it, especially like seeing people 
not complain. Well, some people are complaining with like the current state of affairs. It's like, you have no idea. You have a safe home to hide in right now. You lucky bastard. Right. Yeah. It's, it's so that like, you know, and hopefully we'll never have to revert back to that, but people get so, they they get so narrow minded in their experience and so pigeonholed in their experience that everything is relative to them where it's like, if you had any idea and I find that this book gives you a very like visceral reminder of what is possible. Um, so that, that for me is something that like, that keeps me centered. Like, Oh yeah, gyms are closed. Yeah, sweet. Uh, I don't need to worry about like the uh, levels of the toilet because if it fills up, I need to walk a hundred yards in the snow barefoot and get an infection and put to death. Oh, I don't have to worry about that. Okay. Then I don't give a fuck that gyms are closed. <laughs> that is perspective. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing. I might check that one out. That sounds great. Um, well, we've got around three rounds of uh, fun questions that are relatively fast answers. Yes. So first one is you have 24 hours left on this earth. What would you do with that time? This is going to sound really corny, but the, the same thing I do every day. That was my answer. I know I felt so boring when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that mean, is yeah, just... um, shit, shower, not shave, masturbate. Eat a lot of food. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, up, up early, like do some stuff, answer some emails, go for a walk. And, I don't know. We talk to you guys, <laughs> eat some food, go train somewhere, do something, eat some more food, answer some more emails, write some stuff down. And, I could sail off into the sunset like that. I'd be cool with that. Well, I mean, you're not in a prison or war camp, right? No. Uh, just true. a quick side, extra question to that. If there was one food that you could eat for the rest of your life, what would it be? If it was only, I mean, you have to repeat that meal every meal for the rest of your life. Just because food seems to be important to you. From a macro perspective, it would probably be nigiri, like salmon nigiri. Um, but I, I'm, I'm inclined to throw like ribeye steak into the mix. But I don't know if I want to go keto for the rest of my life or be one of those carnivore fuckers. So but it, could yeah. be, it could be like keto with potato chips. Yeah, I mean, it could be oh, steak, oh, steak then, with then, potato chips. Yeah, then I would have steak with nigiri. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Oh, that, that's, like, that's like a legit fucking, steak what are they calling the nigiri, like, No, no, just two. No, 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 or like nigiri can be a condiment. Like you can put nigiri on things. Like you put like sauce on things. You just put some nigiri on it. It's a surf and turf. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if I'm, I'm not feeling that answer, but that's cool. I'll allow it. Uh, I'll second, allow it. The second one is... is uh, what is something that you could tell us that would surprise the audience? Something about you, maybe a habit or a hobby or an interest? Uh, most people are surprised when they find out I play like guitar and like I'm somewhat musically inclined. Like, I play guitar for like 17 years. What type um, of guitar? It, uh, I have seven. My pride and joy is a Gibson Les Paul, which is like the Zach Wilde edition. It's like this yellow bullseye, you know, it's quite a heavy guitar. Um, those of you who like know the genre, it's kind of like this infamous signature series of the guitar player for Ozzy Osbourne. Um, so that's kind of like, that's my baby for my, the electric side. And then I have like a really nice full body Ibanez acoustic guitar that I like to play. Uh, cool. But yeah, that's one thing, like it becomes increasingly more difficult, the more sausage like my fingers get. Uh, but that's, yeah, that's usually one where like, oh, I didn't think you could do that. Uh, I thought you were a meathead. Yeah, that was pre-meathead day. So I started playing when I was 12 or 13. So I've been at that for, for a long time now. Oh, do you ever cool. travel with them? Guitars? No, it's, it's a bit difficult. They usually, they're either at uh, my place in California or my place in Canada. Uh, so I sit down every now and then you catch an Airbnb with one hanging on the wall. So like I'll rent that place and be able to riff for a little bit or like, you know, some of my friends have guitars. Uh, so I'll just pick up theirs uh, whenever I'm passing through, but I don't play as much as I'd like to, but when I do stop, it'd be something I want to do more often. Nice. In lounges where people will definitely ask you questions. Then. Um, every right. 12 months at the end of the year, I put together a flex success Christmas song. So I'll get like, <laughs> the jingle to Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer and I'll change the lyrics and I'll make the, I'll give the coaches lines and make them sing. So maybe we'll commission you to do like the music in the background. It's not good. It's, so it's you, real good. You can't play nicely. <laughs> okay. They fucking I'm love it. I, I think I'm busy that day, but I'll have to check my schedule. <laughs> All right. Get back to us, Jordan. We'll All right. Definitely book him in for something that he doesn't know what it's for and then just surprise him. Now we're going to play a game called Would You Rather? And you have two okay. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is just is like literally out of a thing called shitty choices. So it's it's a, a random box. Have your dog walk in on you while you're having sex with your dad. <laughs> That's fine. Or have your dad walk in with you while you're having sex with your dog. Yeah, uh, I mean I've heard that one before. 
I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I have an answer. Uh, and I'm, I, uh, yeah, that's the thing. I don't, which is the interesting <laughs> part about that, that scenario. Yeah, the, it's a tough one because it's just with dogs. Like, I refuse to, like, answer any questions, like, when it comes to that on dogs. Like, I watched The Butterfly Effect when I was 15. I went to a movie with a girl. My parents dropped me off, and I left halfway through because there's a scene where there's a dog burning in a bag. It's not actually burning in a bag. So I just left. Uh, so I'm probably not going to answer that one because I don't even know what the right answer would be. But the fact that one of the answers is with a dog, so I'm probably not even going to answer that. All right, donkey. Oh, you take the donkey then. Ah, uh, I feel like I... Dad's walking on you with the donkey? Your dad, yeah, how do you explain that to your dad? Like, look, the other option was you, fucker. What, what would you <laughs> That's a pretty easy conversation. Like, I think he would see it your way. He would think that you're putting him first. that's very kind of you Mm. very very kind of you now if people wanted to look you up maybe your courses you on insta where would they find you yeah so instagram is at the underscore muscle underscore doc if you just search jordan shallow i'm sure it'll pop up uh courses uh so we just started our summer semester that'll run through till the middle of august we run 16 weeks of live lectures uh, so sign up for the fall semester will be in July with late August start. Um, so that'll be the next course online. Not sure when the in-person stuff's going to be opening up. Um, we have some courses in the UK that we look like we're, we're going to be going ahead with, um, as we'll be hopefully be able to enter the country by July. Uh, all that information we found at www.pre-script.com or we keep a pretty close inventory on these things on our podcast, which is RX Radio on Spotify and iTunes. Yeah, cool. And uh, Dean and I have come to a couple of your live seminars and listened to your podcast, and we highly recommend it to our listeners. So go check out Jordan. His info is mint. Good presenter. Sometimes people have a lot of knowledge, but they're like awkward and they don't present well, but I really enjoy your presentations. We would give a code, but because we're not influencers, Jordan won't provide (laughs) Lizzie. I refuse. I refuse. Like I've worked with some supplement companies, and I'm like, that's like it li- literally written in my contract. I will not do promo code. Yeah. For uh, yeah, like we have like discounts that will run for some of our contractors, but like the promo code link in bio thing is like, I can't, I can't, I, I yeah, I can't cringe, man. It's it's that's that's pretty bad. Yeah, <laughs> we agree. Well, thank you for your time, Jordan. It's been a great chat. Yeah, no, it's gr- yeah, great to see you guys. Great to catch up. Thanks for having me on. Yeah,